0: We're starting a new series today, and I'm uh, very excited about. It. It's called Seven Greatest Words of Love," and today we're going to focus in on a theme. Hopefully, you already know uh, called forgiveness. And what we're going to be doing as we go through this series is, and this is taking us up to Easter and through Easter a couple of weeks. We're going to be looking at the last. What we we often say the last words of Jesus, although there was these aren't really the last words of Jesus because. Uh, after he resurrected he came back and talked with his disciples a little bit but we're gonna look at him from the cross from the aspect of the cross these are very fundamental very foundational doctrinal truths these are some of the things these are some of the things that we'll be talking about these are some of the things that as Christians many of us tune out we don't understand we don't embrace we don't dive in deep enough we take a cursory glance or we listen to some quick teaching and we think we've got it, but yet within our lives, we can, we can sense and tell that the reality of these basic truths are not taking root. Some of us will live in bondage, just like with forgiveness, and we're going to talk about today, just like with forgiveness. If we don't understand it, if we don't embrace it, and it's just not about forgiving someone else, but it's about truly receiving the forgiveness that Jesus uh, extends to us. If we don't understand that, many of us can go through our adult years of life miserable, carrying around pain, baggage. We pass that on to our children. We, uh, we uh, kind of put that on to other people. It affects the way we live. And sometimes we don't even know it. Some of us walk around and we have no clue. We have no self-awareness. We have no conviction. We have nothing that tells us that something is wrong. And something seems it's off. Because... The power of the Holy Spirit should be leading us in that direction, but for some of us, we just tune out, we're deceived or whatever, and we just live our lives in a state that is, that is not the, the intentions uh, of the life that Jesus offers us. And so I pray that through this series, we lean into it, and we truly grasp and understand these fundamental doctrinal issues of the greatest words spoken from the cross, the greatest words, seven greatest words of love. Before I share that with you, though, or before we get started, I want to say this. Uh, many of you knew Cricket Anderson. Cricket passed away, uh, what, Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, her funeral is today at 1 o'clock, which I'm going to be leaving very quickly and doing at Wagley's. If any of you would like to attend, please know that that's at 1 o'clock, uh, immediately following the service. So, uh, uh, but the family would love your prayers. It's going to be a great time celebrating Cricket because she had a faith in Jesus Christ. I was talking with the family yesterday evening, and that's one of the things I said, you know, when a person has a relationship with Christ, um, it, the, the funeral becomes more of a celebration because we know where they're, where, they're, where they're at. I know that may sound morbid to some, but again, we're missing the foundational doctrinal elements. When we pa- as a Christian, as a, li- as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a child of God, when we pass from this reality to the next, we're in the presence of God. Now I don't know about you. I get that we. I get that we're human. I get that it's hard to let go. I get that I mourn too. I'm not saying that I'm not human. I'm simply saying that as a Christian, it should be more of a celebration. You know, we're celebrating uh, essentially the, the life of someone who placed their faith and trust in Jesus, and now they're not uh, dealing with any of the brokenness of this world uh, any longer. But they're in the presence of Christ, which is what we are living for right now to begin with. So today we're going to start with forgiveness. And if you would, please turn with me to Luke chapter 23. And we're going to take a look at Jesus uh, talking from from, um, the cross. And we will extract one piece of that for our teaching today. So Luke chapter 23, and we'll start with 27 and read through 37. So this is on His way to the cross and then as He gets crucified. So, in verse 27, it says, a large crowd of people followed Him, including women who were mourning and lamenting Him. But turning to them, Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for Me, but weep for yourselves and your children. Look, the days are coming when they will say, the women without children, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed are fortunate. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us. And to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other criminals, two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing." And they divided his clothes, and they cast lots. The people stood watching, and even the leaders kept scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself, if this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine, and said, if you are the king of Jews, save yourself. The verse we're going to pick up on is found um, in, in verse 34. It says, Father, forgive them. Jesus says, Father, forgive them, because they do not know what... They are doing. Now, again, as we talk about this, there's something that's that's, that's very powerful happening. Jesus is asking the Father uh, through His sacrifice to forgive the people. He's saying, "God, Father, please forgive them because they don't know what they are doing. They don't know what they're saying. They don't know what they're doing. They're deceived. They're being led astray. Father, please forgive them because they don't know what they're doing." So we're talking about forgiveness today and the powerful. Um, the, the the powerful concept or the powerful truth or doctrine behind this, and today we're going to look at that. We're going to look at the absence of forgiving, um, of receiving forgiveness. Do you know that you're forgiven? Do you know that you're forgiven? Do you know that deep, deep, deep down that you are truly forgiven by God? Now, here's the key, though. Here's the key. Whenever we ask that question, that supposes that we understand or we buy into the truth that there is a gospel message that's being communicated. In order to be forgiven you have to have done what? You have to have done an offense, is that correct? Why would you be forg- why would I ask for forgiveness? Why would you forgive me if I haven't done anything that need to be forgiven, right? So, that's a very key. That's very key. Because if we don't understand if we understand forgiveness, then that means that we understand that I did something wrong, that there was something wrong. The Gospel suggests that something was done wrong. The Gospel suggests that there is an offense that was done to God, to the Father, by humans. Ever since Adam, up until right now, until until Jesus returns, there will be this offense between mankind and God. And this chasm, that there is no way that we can do anything to bridge that chasm. There is nothing that you can do. It doesn't matter how well you live your life. You've heard this before. I'm preaching the gospel message right now. That there is nothing that a person can do, a man, woman, child. There's nothing that anyone can do to have a relationship with God if this offense is in the way. It is out of our capabilities. We do not have that in our wheelhouse. Regardless of what someone tells you, regardless of what you think, regardless of what seeds Satan has planted in your mind, there is nothing, absolutely nothing that we can do to restore that relationship between us and the Father. That The gospel message is that we are bad off, but God loves us so much that He provides a way, a Savior, Jesus Christ, and sends Him to the cross to forgive us of what we have of of our sins now we may say well i didn't do anything to god well i would say take that up with god (laughs) there's an offense that a curse that we as soon as we're born into this world we take we take on depravity it's our human nature it's who we are man we're broken We're, we're separated from god right at the beginning whether we've done something or not it we've inherited that born into that state we are doomed for a christless eternity God out of His love says, the Father out of His love says, I will send you a Savior. I will send Jesus to the cross to forgive your sins. Ah, now something's wrong. Now I have to admit that I've got sin within my life. You see, already we're putting it, now there's like a, a hurdle there for some. Well, why, how is there sin in my life? What did I do? You know? And so we start going down this path. Here's the issue, though, if we truly can receive forgiveness, not only do we have eternal life, but we can have life to the fullest even now uh, in, in that reality of that doctrine. Now, I want to talk to you about this forgiveness and understanding, because here's what we can do. We can take that guilt and say, well, I don't really have any guilt and we can suppress it. OK, we can say, well, I don't have any. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything wrong. But yet, this, this guilt is over top of us and what we can do, we can, say, we can, we can suppress it, we can bury it deep, deep down. Uh, the psalmist says this in uh, uh, Psalm 32, uh, verses 3-5, through five, he says this, When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Then, instead of suppressing it, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity or my sin. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you took away the what? The guilt of my sin. Perhaps sometimes the guilt that we carry around is, is real guilt. Because we have unforgiveness within our lives. Something that we're not turning over to God. Something that we're saying, you know what, God, I didn't do this. Or something that we're denying. Something that we're just suppressing. And there's a couple different ways that we do this. There's a couple different ways we suppress it. Number one, we disown it. Okay, we say, you know what, I didn't do anything. It's not mine. You know, I, I you know, it's, it's, it's. Um, I don't know where it's coming from, but I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, own, I don't own this whatsoever. The second thing we can, and I hang on one second, back up. There's not slides for this one. Back up one slide, please, mirror. I'm I'm jumping ahead here. But there's a couple there's not slides for this, but there's a couple things that we can do here. We can we can even minimize it. We can say, well, you know what? Everybody has their thing. Everybody here has their thing. Some, you know, uh, it's really not that big of a deal. What I've done is really not that big of a deal. I mean, other people, you know, whatever it is, it's not that big of a deal. And so by one way of us suppressing it is we can just simply minimize it and, or minimize it and say, you know what? It's 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 it's, it's OK. It's not that bad. Another way we can do it, we can rationalize it, and we can say this. We can say, well, there's other people that do it. I mean, there's all kinds of other people that do it. I'm not as bad as this person, or I'm not as bad as that. I didn't do this, or I didn't do that. And so what happens is we begin to rationalize. And then last, there's another, another, yet another way. We begin to compromise. We start feeling guilty. We start to compromise. We start to lower our standards, right? It seems like now we're living in a time where if anything's wrong, we'll just, we'll just okay it will legislate you know and just say okay it's okay so now what was wrong is okay so that should take away our guilt but the problem is that doesn't work we still have this sense of, of guilt hanging over us, and we try to suppress it either by minimizing it rationalize it uh, compromising or whatever lowering our standards when when what we need to do is uh, which we'll get to here in a few moments but is to deal with it The second thing that we can do is maybe not suppress it, but we'll disown it. And when we disown it, this is what we do. Well, it wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault. You know, it wasn't my fault. We start blaming other people. We start taking the shift. And you've been around people like this. It's like they've got Teflon on, right? Nothing sticks to them whatsoever. It's like... They clearly have, have, have done an error of a judgment error, whatever, and instead of just owning it, instead of just, they, they have to disown it. They can't, you know, they're going to blame other people. It doesn't matter. Uh, it's a tactic, and you know what? It's a tactic that goes clear back to Genesis. If we would go back to Genesis 3, verse 12, chapter 3 is where sin is introduced into the world. We read about Adam and his response. And this is a classic human response that had, in fact, it is so classic that um, uh, we still practice it today. Listen to what he says. Then the man, Adam, replied, well, the, asking about what happened, you know, God's asking him what took place. And he says, well, the woman you gave, to, you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. Now, do you see the string that's going on here? Here's the beauty of this. Adam has the audacity not only to blame Eve, but he's also blaming God, right? Uh, yeah, well, let me tell you what happened here, God. The woman that You gave me, she's the one... So it's like there's this trickle-down effect. So Adam kind of builds in a couple buffers there, right? Before it gets to him. Instead of, own, instead of owning it, he's disowning it. And he's saying, you know what? You know, I, He doesn't just blame Eve, but he's, he he even blames God. He has the, the audacity to even blame God. And the reason why we use blame is so that we can balance our guilt. We know that we're wrong. Adam knew he was wrong. Adam knew it. Adam knew he was wrong, but it was like, well, it's not really my fault. You know, you're the one that created this woman and gave it to, him, you know, gave it to me anyhow. So really, you, need, you and her need to take this up, right? So, he, he, so disowning is another way. Not only suppressing it, but we can disown it. The, the next one is this. We can engage in this self-inflicted punishment. And this is a common thing we do. We feel guilty and we just constantly beat ourselves up all the flipping time. We know we've done something. We own it. We don't suppress it. We own it. We feel it. We recognize it. But we just live in this state of constant misery. We live in this state of constant misery because we just can't, for some reason, get our arms around This concept of forgiveness, the the forgiveness that comes from God, where we receive it and and, and it takes it away. But instead, we just carry it around. We may have done something 40 some years ago, but it is still so fresh. We have, you know, whether I mean, it could have been done 40 years ago, it could have been done last week, yesterday, last night or whatever it is. And we will carry it around and we will create this self-inflicted penance or whatever you want to call it, thinking that it should make us feel better, I guess. I don't know. But, but it just makes us miserable. We look back at the life of King David. When David committed his sin with Bathsheba, you remember that? Uh, right out of the gate, he, he started off on the wrong foot. If you read that passage of Scripture, it says, when all the kings were out, it was in like springtime, when all the kings were out during, engaged in warfare, he was back home sitting idle. He was back home sitting idle. He was sitting on his rooftop. He looks out over the city and he sees Bathsheba bathing, right? And instead of just seeing it, diverting his eyes and getting his mind on something else or getting away or whatever, he looks and he stays locked on. And then the next thing, he knows, the next thing that happens is he begins to carry out this plot. He begins to carry out this thing that would end up uh, involving lying and murdering and all kinds of things that took place as he engaged in this particular sin and then to cover up the sin. For I think a year or so David just struggled with it. David didn't really turn it over to God. We read about this in the Psalms, and he just lived with this guilt, and it just ate away at him. And he tried all kind you know, he tried possibly different things, but he was just absolutely, absolutely miserable. In Psalm thirty eight, verses four and six, listen to what it says here. He says, For my sins have flooded over my head. They are a burden too heavy for me to bear. I am bent over and brought low. All day long, I go around mourning. That's what happens when we have unconfessed sin or guilt within our lives or even we haven't accepted the, 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 the true forgiveness of Jesus from the cross. Where God says, "You know, I, I've forgiven you. I've taken on your sins. I have forgiven you. You are now uh, and, and removing our sins from as far as the east is from the west. And so we can engage in this self-inflicting punishment that we just carry around for years and we just we continue to feel this guilt. We may blame, we may, we may deny it, we may, we may beat up ourselves, whatever it is, but we don't fully understand the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Now, how do we do it? What is the proper way of dealing with it? What's the proper way of accepting this, this free gift of grace and mercy and forgiveness within our lives? Number one, you've got to own it. You've got, to own your, you've got to own your sin. You've got to own the thing that has, that, that, um, that has brought you down. You've got to own what is wrong. You've got to own what the Holy Spirit is laying upon your mind or has laid upon your mind or whatever. And, and, and one of the first steps is, if you haven't done it, is to own it. You have to admit it. You, you don't deny it. You admit it. You own it. You talk about it. You, you um, engage with it. You, you turn it over to God. You let God have it. In 1 John 1.8, the, uh, the author says this, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now I'm talking about the initial part of this. I'm talking about when Jesus extends us forgiveness and we accept that free gift of grace and forgiveness, we're acknowledging that we're, we come up short. And again, I, I realize that at times, even as Christians, we're going to fall short of that. And we, we come back and we admit that and we confess that to Him. But even at the onset, more importantly, at the onset, we have to understand that we're broken, we're separated, and that God is there, forgiving us, extending this this the, His forgiveness to us, and we confess that, we admit to it, we own it. Lamentations, Jeremiah writes, and he says, "This let us search out and examine our ways, and turn back to the Lord." Those things that are that we know that that are heavy upon us, that guilt, that that conviction, we we own it. We turn. He lets examine our lives and turn back to God and, and, and confess those and admit those things to Him and receive that the, the true essence of forgiveness. The second thing that we do with it is we confess it. We confess it. And we confess this with God. We don't rationalize it in any way. Uh, we don't say, you know what, this happened so long ago, I, I just don't deal with it because it's, it's there. Somehow it's Sometimes things can be within our minds and we just it's like we can't let it go. So we don't rationalize it. We don't blame others. uh, We don't minimize it. We don't do all those things. We won't provide excuses. But we take it and we confess it. We say, you know what? This this happened within my life. David's story was about taking it in his own hands and then finally owning it and confessing it. Sharing it. Listen to what James says in 5.16. This is so critical to have someone that we're doing life with. James says this, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The urgent request of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Now, we look at this verse, I think, at times and we're like, oh, there's no way. There's no way I'm going to hang my dirty laundry out there because I don't you know, I don't know if I trust it. We're not, no one's asking you to come up and have open mic here and just kind of air it out to everybody. But if you can't find the truth in doing life together and having someone in your life where you can go to that person out of trust, and I want to tell you something. There's nothing more sad than to talk to an individual that will come to me as a pastor, which is which is good. They'll come to me, and they will they will literally talk about what we're talking about right now, and they talk about the heaviness of all this stuff that's on their shoulders, the heaviness. And and I'll ask them, you know, have you confessed this, to, you know, to God? Yes, you know, I've, I've 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 shared this with Christ. I've asked for forgiveness. And then it's like, well, do you have someone else that you, can, that you can lean on, that you can talk to? No. Why? And I'll start listing some of their friends that I know that they're with their friends, and, you, and some of them will say this I don't trust them. I don't know what they'll do with that information. I know that there's some of you sitting here this morning. If I said, Do you have some people within your life that you could turn and you could share with, you would say, No, I don't trust them. I don't trust them. That's sad. If you're a friend of someone, they could be talking about you. How is it that we have friends that doesn't trust us with the very interiors of their souls? Someone will come to me and pour out their soul to me, which which I I I take great honor in because they trust me. And I'm not going to share that information. It's not mine to share, nor do I get joy of sharing other people's information. I'm trying to live my own life and manage my own life, and that's. That's hard enough as it is, let alone somebody else's. But when someone can't turn, when you can't turn to someone and say, look, man, this is something that I've asked God for forgiveness for, and I know that he's forgiven me, but Satan still, Satan still has, a, has a pull on me. And you can't go to someone and talk to them and just share with them and ask them for prayer and ask them to journey with you over that. That is so... That's so sad, and that's not the way Jesus intends for us to do life. We're supposed to be doing life together. And that doesn't mean everybody, but that means that you're going to have some people within your life that you can share these things with, that you can share these things uh, with. This is something, guilt is one of these things that plagues, I think, a Christian's walk. And you know why? Because Satan knows how easy it is to fire the dart and hit that big bullseye of guilt. And he knows if he can isolate, you're done. Now that doesn't mean you're off. That doesn't mean you're excommunicated from heaven. That doesn't mean that you're banished from Christ. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you're sitting in here miserable because you have this thing that you've been carrying around and you just you, it, it's hard to let it go when you need someone to journey with you and to walk with you. Confessing our sins and sharing it with other individuals so that we will not be attacked by Satan's schemes and lies and deceitfulness. The second thing we do is we ask for forgiveness, which I kind of already alluded to. So we confess it, and then we ask for forgiveness. Again, First John says this, uh, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us uh, our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now there's a couple of ways we, we need to we we do this, okay? There's a right way and there's a wrong way. The wrong way is this. We do not have to beg God. That's the thing. A lot of times we will confess our sins and then and then or something that, you know, that just hangs with us and something that may have been hanging with us for years and we continue to pray and pray and pray and pray over it. The part of that that, that mystifies me is that it goes against scripture. Scripture teaches us that when God forgives us of our sins, he removes. He doesn't cover, like he did in the Old Testament, he doesn't cover our sins. He literally removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. North and south, we've got north and south, the north and south uh, pole, right? So there's kind of a point to where you can go as far north as you can go, and as far south as you can go. East is to west, there's not a point where it's like, okay, I've arrived, it's, it, it continues. You're, there's always an east and west. That's why the author of that particular verse says God removes our sins as far as, the, as far as the east is from the west. If God removes our sins as far as the east is from the west, does He remember our sins? Do you think God remembers our sins? I'm asking because there's a lot of people that struggle and hurt with us. Then why is it that we remember and carry sins around, carry something we've done around so many years ago that God has forgiven us. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about if you ask God for forgiveness for something and you truly believe that He forgave you, but yet you continue to really struggle with, that, with, with guilt from that? Like, where, where, does, where does that come And then when you pray about it again and again and again and again, you kind of beg God for forgiveness in a sense? Does He, does he even know what you're praying about? I mean, I, okay, I know this is, we're starting to get into those, those mind-boggling questions, right? But if God forgets of our sins, why do we keep reminding Him of them? Yes, God, I know you forgave me of this sin, but back here I'm still struggling with it. Back here I'm still struggling with it. And it's so easy for us to get pulled into that because Satan knows exactly where our bull's Like, Hey guys, some of this may not apply to some of us like right now, but we're going to hit one of these seven words It's going to hit you, okay? So I hope that you don't minimize what we're talking about. Maybe you've, maybe you've experienced that forgiveness and you truly understand what it means to be forgiven. I go back to the point I was just at to say there are some in here that struggle with it and some in here don't have anybody to talk to. So if, if you're in a spot where you understand forgiveness and you've truly embraced it, I would ask you in your heart right now to pray for others that are struggling. I was part of a meeting this week um, and we were talking about this very stuff. And the person was a Christian. She's a Christian counselor. And she was struggling uh, with it, some, some personal things that happened many years ago. And she was describing exactly what we're talking about today and how she had to work through that to truly receive, for, not receive, truly understand the forgiveness of God. And how it plagued her for years. And how she And, and she talked about how She had to come to it. And here's the key, guys. This is the stuff that we talk about. This is the stuff that we say if we can truly receive that forgiveness, we don't have to, we don't experience these things. God frees us. God lets it, God takes those, and He allows us to, He helps us to experience life and life to the fullest. The second thing that happens is we ask for forgiveness. We, or the next one is, that God forgives us instantly. Or let me just sh- share with you a couple things that happens when we ask for forgiveness. Number one, we ask and we truly believe and we trust. We trust that God has forgiven us. Now listen to what happens here when, we talk, when, when God forgives us. Number one, He forgives you instantly. He forgives us instantly. We don't have to suffer a little bit first. I've heard people say these things. I've heard Christians say these things. And it's nothing but lies and deception from Satan. Something bad will happen. It's like, well, God's kind of paying me back for what I just kind of—I know I messed up back here or whatever—and and and they and they projected on God, saying, "Well, God's punishing," you know, "God's still keeping this alive" or whatever. That's not the case whatsoever. When God forgives, He forgives instantly. He, you know, there's no suffering a little bit. It's, it, it, you know, uh, He's not going to make us wait. Now, we, will we maybe reap some of the stuff that we sowed? Some of the consequences, sure, but let's not blame God for that one because God. God forgives and does it instantly. He doesn't say, "You know what? Let me think about this. Let me get back with you. Let me run this. You know, let me do some spitballing on the wall here to kind of see how this is going to play out." That's not how it works whatsoever. God forgives us instantly. He not only forgives us instantly, but he forgives us completely. And that's what I was sharing a little bit earlier. He forgives us completely. He removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. It's, it's, it's not just some quick and merciful way to forgive, but Jesus literally died on the cross for our sins, which, which includes all of our sins. He forgives us completely. And a lot of times, again, in our humanness, we struggle with that so much because Satan just comes right at us. And, and it's, so, it's so easy to see that when you know, talking with individuals because you know, I mean, all you have to do is sit down with some individuals and begin to just kind of hear where they're at with their hurt and what they've been struggling with. And you know that that's their bullseye that Satan's going to go after every single time. And that's exactly what happens until they, until they are able to, to get resolved from this with, with God and within their own hearts. In their own minds. But Satan will come after that same spot every single time... Within your life, if you struggle with something, that is going to be your bullseye. Satan will come after that every single time. And to the point to where if we struggle with guilt, if we struggle with understanding that God has forgiven me, God has, you know, by the work on the cross, Jesus, my sins have been instantly and completely forgiven. If we don't grasp that, Satan will come after that every single time. He can't destroy you, but he can make your life Absolutely miserable as you carry around this stuff. But God forgives us absolutely completely. Another thing that God does, He forgives over and over and over again. He is so gracious. He is so merciful. There's not a single person sitting in here that is perfect. There's not a single person sitting in here that says, you know what? I'm never going to need forgiveness again. I'm never going to need to confess or whatever again. There's going to be times where we do something out of our humanness. Hopefully, we're growing. Hopefully we're becoming more into the image of Jesus. Hopefully we're, we're, you know, we're, we're progressing and, and it becomes fewer and fewer. But the issue is this, God forgives repeatedly. He loves us so much out of His, out of his unconditional love that He forgives us over and over again. Not only instantly, not only uh, completely, but also He forgives us over and over and over again. Hebrews 7.25 says that Christ is always interceding on our behalf he forgives he he 's constantly re, uh, interceding on our behalf before the father and then the last thing I want to share with you is this as the worship team comes back is that God forgives freely you don't earn it you don 't deserve it it 's a gift of god 's grace your human human forgiveness is is um, is probably our We've got to understand that Christ died for us, and forgiveness is God's one of God's greatest gifts. So when we talk about the seven words from the cross, forgiveness is a, an extremely powerful concept, a, a doctrine that that as a Christ follower, we need to fully understand and embrace, and not just understand that God's forgive. I mean that that it's just kind of in one moment, but 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 that that it. God has completely forgiven us. That God loves us so much. Does that make sense? I see so many people that struggle and hurt because they don't fully embrace the forgiveness of God. And I'm not saying we take, that we take light of it and we abuse it. That's not my point whatsoever. My point is that God loves us so much and that He forgives us. And if we can truly embrace that, it frees us from a lot of this stuff that Satan wants to just bring us down and deceive, and, and deceive us and 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 consequently miss out on the awesomeness or the greatness of who god is god is a lover and he loves us and as we embrace his forgiveness it enables truly embrace it enables us to respond back to him with with all just glorifying him lifting him up and bringing him glory for who he is and what he is, not and not just what he's done in our lives, but what but 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 how he has accomplished that work within our lives. I don't know if you're sitting in here this morning and you've been carrying around stuff for years. Maybe you you know maybe you're sitting in here this morning and you say, you know what, truth be known, I've car- I continue to beat myself up. I continue to carry this around. I continue to just struggle with this over and over and over again. After a while it's like, you know. God's, it, it's like we're missing out on the, the, how huge and magnificent God is. His unconditional love, his love saying, I forgive you. And it's not because you deserve it, it's because I love you. It's because I love you. And that should just literally, you know, melt those chains that, that, that keep us in bondage at times from Satan if you would, I want us to, I want you to stand and I want to lead us into a word of prayer. Praying that we would truly be able to embrace those words of Jesus that He spoke so many thousands of years ago. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. May we truly understand the depths and the gravity of God's forgiveness this morning. Father, thank You so much for who You are. Thank You so much that man, we're we're with the the curse of sin on us we're your enemies but instead of leaving us in that state you chose to forgive us you chose to provide a way for us to have salvation and to be with you Father would you help us truly understand the gravity and the weight of your forgiveness May we leave here completely empty and void of, of things that we may be carrying around within our lives. Maybe we struggle and uh, we, we want to bury it. We want to ignore it. We want to rationalize it, minimize it, whatever it is, suppress it, whatever it is. Instead of doing it that way, Father, may today be a day where we take it, we confess it, we give it to you for the last time and we, and we em- embrace and we receive your forgiveness to our core and may that just excite our souls with everything we've got and may that just enable our hearts to become so full of praise that we can turn and we can bring you glory because we don't deserve your unconditional love we don't deserve your forgiveness we don't deserve your grace and your mercy but it's because of you your love that you give us these things May we accept those things. May we trust those things. Trust You and accept them and embrace them and not be arrogant with it, but become extremely humble and just bring You all kinds of praise knowing that we didn't deserve it whatsoever. Thank You so much for who You are. I pray that right now Your Spirit would find freedom within this room. I pray that Satan would not distract our our minds. I pray that we wouldn't get caught up and say, well, that was so basic. I guess, you know, may we truly listen and understand. May we hear Your words. And may we truly embrace those for our lives. And then may we allow You to use us to reach out and end to someone else that may be struggling. Help us to extend Your love to others that may be in a bad spot. And I pray all this in Your name. Amen.